0: Lord, we thank you that the truth of the matter is that all we have, all we need is in you. Lord, as we as we wait on you, you give us everything that we need. Your word tells us, Lord, that we have everything that we need. Lord, we thank you that you are the great I am. We thank you that that in you, Lord, we fear we need to we need fear nothing. Because if you are for us, who could be against us? Lord, we come to you tonight in the middle of weeks full of many different things. Lord, you know exactly what it is that each one of us is facing. You know exactly what it is that each one of us needs. So Lord, we come to you tonight and ask that you have your way here among us. Lord, we thank you for, we thank you for your word, your living word. We thank you for the promises that it contains. We thank you... For the promises that we have in you through your word. And Lord, we pray that you just reveal yourself to us tonight. Speak to us. Lord, we ask that you just have your way tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good evening. How you doing? Good? Good? All right past the halfway point of August. Can you believe it? <laughs> Take out your Bibles and open them up, please. First Samuel chapter 15. We've been studying the last few weeks and talking about the life of King Saul, the first king of Israel, the, the king that the people demanded. God honored their request, giving them a king. And again, as we've discussed, the king that represents what man desires and seeks in a king, in a leader, in a worldly human leader. We'll see as we continue, even uh, probably not get there tonight, but uh, we continue over the next couple of weeks, we will see that God chooses a very different type of person. He looks at the heart. And we've seen as we've looked through uh, first Samuel to this point and then the life of Saul. We saw last week as we were looking at you know, the battles that, that they were fighting now in the, in the wars with the Philistines and how Saul's son Jonathan raised up and, and that, that great battle that he won and how everything happened there last week. And we talked then at the end that, that Saul then continued on and there were many battles. And at the last verse it tells us that there was the war against the Philistines was severe all the days of Saul. So there was, there was constant battle and war going on with the Philistines and with others, primarily the Philistines. It tells us that Saul was building an army. And Saul turned in to be quite a military leader. And, and so it, it, he's building his army up and, and had a lot of success in, in that militarily. And as a leader, again, as the people's leader. But we're going to see that as a man following God, he continues his downward spiral that already began. At the beginning, verse, verse 1 of chapter 15, it says, Then Samuel said to Saul, now Samuel, again, remember, is an old man. It told us that a couple of chapters ago. We don't know how much time has transpired, but probably several years since that point to this point. So Samuel is now a very old man, Ver- leading up to the end of his life. God calls him again to go to Saul and speak to him. Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Samuel came to Saul to remind him that it was God who selected him. It was God who anointed him as king. He wasn't wasn't chosen as king because of anything, again, that he had done, any, any military prowess that he had shown to this point. If you'll remember, that, that Saul was chosen as he was out looking for, for the family livestock that had gotten away. And when it came time for him to be pointed out, he was hiding among the baggage. So again, Samuel's kind of remembering it, bringing it back to his roots. And Paul does that, even with us as Christians, in First, in first Corinthians, when he's talking to the church in Corinth. He says, now consider your calling, brethren. Consider it. Remember Kind of ponder on this for a minute, because we have a tendency that all of us do, we can all fall into this, where we, we start to think, you know what, God really, God really made a good choice when he picked me, you know? Uh, you know, I, he, he really knew what he was doing, especially now, after I've been able to prove myself for a little while, you know, and things going kind of good. Paul says, consider this, brethren, remember, not many of you wise, not, not many of you were mighty, not many noble, especially with the way the world looks at things. And he says God does that on purpose. God chooses the foolish things to shame or confound the wise. He chooses the weak things to confound the strong. Chooses the base and despised things, the things that are not, to shame the things that are. And he says because then he gets all the glory. Nobody can boast in and of themselves. And so I think that that this starts off this way because because Samuel needs to kind of get Saul's attention. He might be thinking that he's he's pretty hot stuff and we have to get the, God has to get our attention sometimes that way too because he follows it with this. He says, "Listen to the words of the Lord." Listen. "You didn't the Lord sent me to anoint you." Jesus, when he was speaking to his disciples, and again, speaking to them, speaking to us in John chapter 15, he said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I chose you and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, and to bear fruit that remains. He says to Saul, you were selected by God and anointed to rule over Israel. He says that to us, he chose us to go and bear fruit. And he tells us later on, as he tells his disciples, that, that part of that fruit that we are to bear is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, if we're going to do that, if we're going to fulfill that, if we're going to bear the fruit, we need to, first of all, know all the things that the Lord says, correct? I mean, if we can't teach what we don't know. Here, He's saying, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. There's responsibility, there's accountability, listening. Remember, we talked about that this weekend, not just with our physical ears, but with our spiritual ears. And I'm making a big point about this to start off with, because it says that you're to listen, and again, how much, do, how much of the instructions should he listen to? All of them. <laughs> If you're going to follow all of them, you need to know all of them and listen to all of them. If you're going to defuse a bomb, it doesn't make sense to skip to step 10. You need to follow it all. You need to understand it all. So he says, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek, and utterly destroy all that he has, and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now I'm going to tell you, verse 3 is one of those verses that is extremely difficult. Can't, can't duck it, can't dodge it. We could just read right over it and just say, ah, just skip right over it and go on, but We can't do that. This is a Bible study. We're studying it through verse by verse. But also, this is one of those things that people will challenge us as Christians on. They're going to say, I thought God was a God of love. And it says here, he's commanding them to go kill children and infants. What kind of God would do that? Well, I I will tell you right now, I don't have the perfect answer other than he is God and I'm not. And far too often, we try to bring God down to our level of understanding. And we look at things, and we need to understand and embrace this truth that God knows things that we don't. God knows the beginning from the end. We don't understand. We have some archaeological evidence that points to how wicked the Amalekites were. I mean, we're talking really, really wicked people. But we don't don't know the extent of their wickedness. God did. God did. God gave them years to repent and to turn to him. And all who did, even remember when God told them they were going to wipe out Jericho. Rahab, when she turned and came and and confessed and came to the living God, she was spared. Any one of them at that point that did that, any time along this, this hundreds of years from the time of the event we're going to talk about here in a second until now, if they, would have, if they would have come to the true and living God, they would have been saved. But these people have continued to harden and fight against the covenant that God made with Abraham. He said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Amalek, the people of Amalek, as we will see, came against Israel, tried to destroy them. And it was something about the Amalekites that it never went away. If you read the story of Esther, Haman, the man Haman who who set it as his life's mission to wipe out the Jewish people, was an Amalekite. Something something about that that is in them, that that, that they will exterminate the Jews. And God said, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And again, God sees and knows what we don't. Somehow, again, in God's sovereignty and in his wisdom, knows even those infants would grow up to, to commit horrendous sin, horrendous things against God's people. It's almost, it, I heard it, it an analogy this way, explained this way, and I, I like the way, it, it, kind of the explanation. If you saw a dog with rabies, foaming at the mouth, running through, you know that that dog is going to die. And you know that everything that will cause that dog to die is already running rampant through that dog's system. So, you would be considered a hero if you killed that rabid dog before it got into the, into the playground area where all the kids were playing. Now, again, I'm, I, I'm doing my best to bring this down to an understanding. Again, I will tell you, that, uh, and, I, and I hope you're okay with the fact that your pastor doesn't have a perfect answer for this, because your pastor's okay with the fact that he doesn't have a perfect <laughs> answer for this. So I hope you are. But then also, as I was wrestling through this today, too, isn't this a beautiful act of mercy for these children and these infants? If God knew that they would grow up to be this way in this state, they have not reached that point where they can make that decision themselves, and God reaches in and intervenes in that. Now again, we have to, we have to be able to, to answer this when people talk of this. But, but what I, what I think the thing that we, we need to get away from in that and take it right away in the point that we need to understand today is the spiritual aspect of what we are seeing here. This again, is, as always, when we go through the Old Testament, it's not just a history lesson. God gives us very practical lessons for our, our very lives today in the lives that we live. You see, the Amalekites were descendants of Esau. And Esau and the Amalekites in Scripture are a picture of the flesh. Remember, Esau sold his spiritual birthright for a bowl of soup to take care of his physical appetite. And the Amalekites, the descendants of Esau, are a picture of the flesh. And God is telling Saul here to utterly destroy the flesh. He is telling us, as he did in Romans, Paul told us in Romans chapter 8, that we are to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Not try to rehab the flesh. (laughs) Put to death the deeds of the flesh. Later on in chapter 13, he he tells us that we are to put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh. And that's the command that is given to him here. We see, as we look back, and and you you can flip there real quickly or just make a note of it, this this battle with the Amalekites first was fought, and we see it back in the in Exodus, all the way back in Exodus chapter 17. The battle with the Amalekites is the battle where Moses, when he held his arms up, they, they would be winning, and Joshua would be winning, and when his arms would fall that come down, they would start to lose. So Aaron and Hur come and hold up his Moses' arms and they win that battle. That's that's the battle against the Amalekites. The reason they went to war with the Amalekites is because the Amalekites were coming from behind them and they were killing the innocent ones, the stragglers that were hanging behind, the weak, the women, the children that were straggling back. They were killing them. That's the kind of people they are and that's how they were going to attack and come after, after the Jewish people. Well Joshua then because of that the Lord brings about a great victory through Joshua and it says in Exodus 17... So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar, named it The Lord is My Banner, and he said, The Lord has sworn the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. God said, I will utterly blot them out. I will do that. Now later on in Deuteronomy, chapter 25, it says, remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. Remembering back to that, remembering that that battle and what they were doing, how he met you along the way and attacked, attacked among you all of the stragglers at the rear, the ones who were falling behind, how they were attacking there, when you were faint and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall come about when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies in the land which your Lord gives you and your inheritance to possess it, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You must not forget. Now, I don't know if anybody else caught this, but it kind of got me going today, and I realize we're kind of stuck in verse 3 right here, but we'll get going in just a minute. But it, didn't God say in Exodus that he will blot them out? And he gives a command here, in deuteronomy that when you get to this point in your history in the promised land you blot them out so that i thought god was going to blot them out now you blot them out how does that work and again especially when we're talking about the personal application that we have in our life dealing with the flesh dealing with dealing with the the, dealing with sin dealing with walking through that how does that work i'm glad you asked philippians chapter 2 Verse 12, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying work for your salvation. He's speaking to believers, those who have trusted in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. He says, work out your salvation. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've been given. Have victory over sin in your life. Work it out. For, verse 13, It is God who is at work in you, both to work and to will, according to his good pleasure. You work out what God works in. God is the one who who does it in us, and then we walk it out in obedience, in following all that God tells us. Peter puts it this way. In 2 Peter chapter, chapter 1, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He has already given it to us. We have it. We possess it as Christians. Has given us everything we need for a life of godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his excellency. goes on then later, now for this very reason, applying all diligence. That is, putting maximum effort in your faith add moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, in your knowledge, self-control, in your self-control, perseverance, in your perseverance, godliness, in your godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, love. We need to work these things out that God has put into us. And again, all of it. These things that are given to us as a, as a list in Second Peter, and I'd love to go through them all, we don't have time, you could go through them and, and study through those. It doesn't say pick three We are to walk in all of these things. Complete obedience. Again, knowing all that God tells us to do, and then walking in that. That is his desire for us. Again, making no provision for the flesh. Completely wiping that out and living to follow him. Well, after he he gives him that order, then Saul, verse 4, summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. If you remember last time, he was he was he was struggling to come up with just a few hundred men to go to battle. Now the army has been built up. He, the, the, the issue now isn't he's worried about going to fight Amalek. He's got no no concerns with that at all. He's moving out, and it's not like this act of faith. Again, this army, 210,000 strong, is going to go and fight against Amalek. Saul came to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the valley. Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you with them for you showed kindness to all the sons of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. Now the Kenites are a a group of people living in the promised land, but they befriended the Jews as they were coming through. As a matter of fact, Moses' father-in-law was a Kenite. Moses married into the Kenite clan, if you would. So And they're friends of the children of Israel. So this isn't just a random kill everybody over there. God is very precise in who he is dealing with. And Saul says, you guys get out of here because it's about to go down and we don't want you to get caught in it. So you guys get out. Verse seven, so Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as, as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He captured Agag the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed." Now, obviously, we see a major problem here. God said to utterly wipe it all out. Every living thing. But Saul and the members of his army that went with him changed it up. They all of a sudden were the ones that were deciding what was good and what was despised or bad. Look, it says here in verse 9, spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. In God's eyes, what was good in Amalek? Nothing. That's why he said you need to wipe it all out. Isaiah tells us in chapter 5, woe to you who call evil good and good evil. Sin is not up to us as men to redefine. God calls sin, sin. And he never changes in any of that. People people say, oh, well, that was then. You know, we've we've come this far now. That was, you know, things are different today. Not in God's eyes. And he says, woe to you who redefine what sin is, who call evil good and good evil. It says, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. The despised things, almost like the big sin we'll deal with. Those big things we'll make sure are totally wiped out. Those despised ones, those ugly ones. And these other ones, they're not so bad. We'll, We'll hang on to those. Then, verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I have made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commandments. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Now again, we, we look at this in a couple of things we, we need to see. First of all, it says, I regret that I have made Saul king. This, the, the, if, you, if you have a, um, a different translation that even uses the word repentance... You know, he's repenting. And again, the, the, the idea there, again, trying to paint the picture that we can understand, Not again, not fully understanding God. God doesn't change. He does, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's like, it, it, this is not saying that God said, man, did I make a mistake. I totally messed up on this one. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not at all it. We see God's heart in this, though how his heart is broken over, the, over Saul's disobedience. And we see in this as well, Samuel's heart being broken when God, God's heart breaks. Oh, that we would all have that same heart. That, that, that our hearts would re- be broken. You know we, that song, that break my heart for what breaks yours. That we would be so sensitive and in tune with the Lord that, that when he is broken over what is going on in the world, it would break our hearts too. Sensitive to those things that he, that he mourns over. But notice too, and this is, you've maybe heard other talks on this before, we're gonna see as we go through this, and the theme kind of, if you would, for this entire chapter is partial obedience is disobedience. God requires full obedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. You don't get partial credit for doing part of what God says. And look how God looks at partial disobedience. He has turned back from following me. Turned back. He doesn't say that he glanced to the right or to the left by partially following. Partially following, again, in God's eyes is full disobedience. Turning away completely. That's how God sees it. And again, Samuel, broken over this, distressed, crying out to the Lord all night. Again, you just imagine the lamenting, the prayer. And I'm challenged in this myself when I, when I read a verse like this, and I want to be a man like Samuel. I want to be a man, a godly man like Samuel. And when I see things and I hear things that I know have to be broken, when is the last time, and I ask myself this question, so I'll ask it to you so you can feel like I do. When's the last time you stayed up all night in prayer because you were so broken over the sin of what's going on around us? Samuel, all night. He cried out to the Lord all night. Break our hearts, Lord, for what breaks yours. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul. I don't know about you, but I'm not big on confrontation. I'm not... I, even when it, even when I know it it needs to be done even when I know that it's the right thing to do it's almost like okay Lord can we walk through this again one more time can we go through this again one more time Saul Samuel didn't even use the fact that he didn't have any sleep as an excuse it says he got up early and he went and had to confront Saul with this rose up early in the morning to meet Saul and it was told Samuel saying Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument for himself, then turned and proceeded down to Gilgal. Now this is not probably Mount Carmel. There was another Carmel in the south, probably here, that what they're referring to here because of the location towards Gilgal. But notice it says that Saul went there and he set up a monument for himself. Coming off of this victory, look at what Saul did. King Saul, we've got to build a monument so nobody forgets what I did in this thing. Don't worry, it's recorded for us, Saul. We get to, it recorded for all eternity. Pride. Again, remember this, this guy, we talked about this a few weeks ago, he started out so well. Started out so humble. But the pride as it comes over here, this self-promotion, set up a monument to himself. We have to be so careful that even in our, our sin, we don't build monuments to ourselves. Man, look at, how, look at what I did for the Lord. You know, again, even in our partial obedience. Man, look at, man, I, I did stay up all night and pray. Man, that, there needs to be a monument built for that. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the commandment of the Lord. And so we move from self-promotion to total self-deception. I wonder when Saul saw Samuel if he was like, "Uh oh," um, and then goes into this act. Hey, hey Sammy! <laughs> Blessed are you. Blessed be the Lord. Or did he really think? Did he really? Was he really excited? To see Samuel, I don't know. I don't know. I tend to think maybe the second his heart had gotten so hard. Because we're going to see, we see this thing, this recurring thing happening with Saul. We're going to see it again right here. He says, I have carried out the commandment of the Lord. I did it. I did what I was told to do. Look at Samuel's response. What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Be understand this your sin will find you out (laughs) just when you think you got away from got away with it everything's good man I could cover this whole thing up nobody's ever gonna know what is this that I hear then if you did what you were told to do if you followed the instructions of God what is all of this that I'm hearing look at his response again Saul, if he would have then just just repented, but he doesn't. They, notice, they have brought them from the Amalekites. They, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we have utterly destroyed. Don't you love that? They, they kept them alive. They brought the oxen, but we killed everything else. Again, the heart of Saul we see here. Denying it. Coming out, I did it. I did it all. I did everything God said. Denying it. Belittling it. Oh, he was just a little bit left. We we utterly destroyed everything else. Passing the blame on to somebody else. It was them, not me. We see that God, remember we talked about this, I think it was last week, and we're going to get into this again when we start talking about the next king, David. A man after God's own heart. Did David walk perfectly with the Lord his entire life? Did David ever commit grievous sin? Yes. I don't need to go into all the details. We'll be covering it in a few weeks. But the the sin with Bathsheba. But we see in in 2 Samuel chapter 12 that when he was confronted with his sin, as Saul is here, he didn't blame anybody else. He didn't say... (laughs) It's not my fault. She was, she was taking a bath on her roof. I mean, what was I supposed to do? He didn't push off the blame on anything else. What did he say? He said, oh, I'm a sinner. I have sinned against God. It is, it is in, that, in that we see that he wrote Psalm 51. We know that this is, this is that time frame when he was confronted with his sin. And he says, be gracious to me, Psalm 51 Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only I have sinned. I've done evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Not trying to cover it up not trying to hide it, not trying to run from it, not trying to belittle it at all. If we want to be a man or a woman like David, that kind of heart, we need to realize that we need to have a right view of sin. That it's not something small. That, it is, that it's a horrible offense to God. When we are disobedient, it's as though we are walking away from Him. We need to have a right view of who He is. He has every right and a right view of ourselves need to be submitted and humble. Purify me, he said, with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. That verse right there, can you imagine as, as David cries out, restore to me the joy Don't you know that when we're living in sin, the joy is gone? There's pleasure in sin for a season, but there's no joy. Restore the joy. Uphold me with your right spirit. That was David's response. Saul's, as we see here, he's covering it up, denying it. Then Samuel said to Saul, wait and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak. I'd be like, I don't want to know. (laughs) Samuel said, is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then? Did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord. Again, denying it, even when it's confronted, brought right to his face and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek. <laughs> don't don't you, I did what God said, and I brought back the king of Amalek. Can't have both. And utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, the people did. Sheep and oxen and the choicest of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. They took some of these things, but we're going to sacrifice it to God. Justifying sin by saying, Well, we're gonna we're gonna devote some of it to God. I mean, yeah, I cheated on my taxes, but I'm given 10% of what I got back. I'm tithing. Keep it. God doesn't want that. <laughs> as a matter of fact, that, that's a paraphrased way of saying what, what Samuel says next. Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? As in the obeying of his voice, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Deceiving ourselves. Saul was deceiving himself, thinking, you know, again, we could take this, we could do this, we're, we're mostly obedient, but we'll cheat a little bit in this area, and, and but we'll, we'll, we're going to offer it as sacrifices to God, justifying it. Again, we can we have to be careful because we can think that we're okay. Again, that we don't we're not doing the big things wrong. I mean we haven't killed anybody. Haven't stolen anything. Well not not I well, I have no armed robbery. I haven't done that. You know, and, and, and we can we can do that, but you know what James tells us that the word of God is like a mirror. And we hold the mirror up to ourselves, right? we look. Again, we have to look into the mirror. And the Bible tells us, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Guys, we look in the mirror. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. I haven't killed anybody. Children, obey your parents. All, by the way, all of these are, there, there's, no, there's no if afterwards. Obey your parents if. You know, husbands love your li- wives as Christ loved the church. When? You know, it's always. There's no conditions in any of these. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Slaves, employees, be obedient to those who are masters over you. Masters, bosses, do the same things to them. that Treat them as you want to be treated. The Bible tells us, we look at this one, pursue peace with all men. Pursue peace. That doesn't mean wait for peace to come to you. Pursue peace with all men. Forgiveness. Gossip. We're not to gossip or slander. Don't like looking in the mirror with those things. (laughs) How about this one? I I I came across this one today after reading Philippians 2. 12 and 13, verse 14 says, do all things without grumbling. (laughs) Again, we have to be, we have to be so careful. Again, it's not a multiple choice thing. It's It's not a buffet where we can go through and pick certain things. God says that this is what I said. Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what I say. And again, not picking and choosing. Not saying, well, we're doing good with the big ones and build ourselves a monument over here when we got the, all these little ones that, that we're thinking are okay. These, these are okay and these are good. Obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. God desires our obedience to walk, again, in love, following him because of what he did for, for us. Because he chose us and he died for us. We do these things out of love for him. Walking in obedience. He desires that more than your tithe. He he desires that more than than coming to a prayer meeting. Or even reading the Bible tomorrow to try to, you know, again, because of the the things that you've done. Saying, okay, well, I tell you what, I I know I'm doing this here, but if if I just get into the word tomorrow morning, that's not how it works. He desires obedience. Look at verse 23. Rebellion is as the sin of divination. That's heavy. Again, we need to see disobedience the way God sees disobedience. When when we go against what God tells us to do, God is saying that's on the level with witchcraft well, I don't have a pentagram on my carpet at home and sacrifice and goats, so I'm okay. God says disobedience is the same thing. To him, it's the same in his eyes. It hurts just as much. It goes on, it says, and insubordination is an iniquity as idolatry. Again, when we think, when we change the rules, as Saul did here, when we change the rules, we place ourselves on the throne. We... We become the we become the, the 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 source of idolatry. I know this is this is kind of heavy stuff. I I do I do I get it. But we all, we need to do this. We need to go through this. If if we love the Lord Jesus, we need to we need to put ourselves into look into the mirror. I did today, and I at times when I look at some of these things, I don't like what I see. But you know what? Jesus paid for it all. This isn't a guilt trip. This isn't the thing to, where we're supposed to walk out of here and fear, feel all the, oh. We should feel that way right now if, if there's things in our lives that need to be dealt with. But let's deal with them. That's, that's what God wants. He desires obedience. He desires us to come now, as he said, just you confess your sin. And he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We just need to bring it to him and say, God, I... I have been disobedient, as David did. Forgive me, I have sinned against you, God. My creator, my redeemer, my king, I have been disobedient. I turn back to you now. Imagine what could have happened with Saul if he would have done just that. As as we continue, Samuel now speaking, he says, because you have rejected the word of God, he has also rejected you from being king. Now, that's important. says from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, and I have indeed transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I have feared people and listened to their voices. It sounds like Saul's turning. It sounds like he's getting it. He's actually confessing a sin, but there's no repentance in it, as we're going to see in a moment. It's not a repentance. It's, it, confession is more than just speaking it in your mouth. And say, you know, yeah, Confession is more than being sorry you got caught. It's turning from it. Now therefore, he says, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Samuel can't pardon his sin. Again, like David did, he goes to the Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Again, I want to draw your attention to that. It says, rejected you from being king over Israel. To this point, God has not rejected Saul absolutely. He's rejected him from being king. He's disqualified from being king because of the things that he has done at this point. But can you imagine... Can you imagine if Saul would have turned, would have changed? What an amazing general he could have been in King David's army. If he would have just recognized the fact that he had sinned, that he had been disqualified, if he would have just submitted to the Lord and fallen down broken and humble before God right now. What an amazing rest of the story could have happened for Saul. We're gonna see it doesn't end that way. It ends very bad for Saul. Because he doesn't. How many stories could be so different if it would just be that way? Coming, coming under that understanding, okay, because of what I've done, because of this sin that I've committed, I can't be used today in this way. But I humbly confess my sin and I submit to you, Lord, and what God could do with that heart. But that wasn't Saul's heart. As we see here, as Samuel turns now to go, Saul reaches out and grabs the edge of his robe and it tears. He grabs a hold of Samuel's robe and tears it right the corner of it right off. Samuel prophesies using that. He says, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Again, speaking of David, we'll be introduced to next chapter. Also, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind. Again, God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. He regretted, again, heartbroken over what happened. And again, if Saul would simply repent right now, God could use him in different ways, but he's not going to change his mind. He's saying right now, Saul, God has removed this from you as king. Now, he's going to remain king, but again, in God's eyes, we're going to see a new king is anointed. Next chapter. But but, so God is removing that from you. and He's not going to change his mind. He is not a man that he should change his mind. Then he said, I have sinned, but please honor me now. Here we see his heart again. Please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. Don't make me look like a fool in front of everybody. He's, again, far more concerned about what the people think than what God thinks that I may go and worship the Lord your God. Saul would (laughs) make the Lord his God, how things could be so different. So Samuel went back following Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Verse 32, Then Samuel said, Bring Agag, the king of the Amalekites. Remember him? Still alive, still around. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, Surely, the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. Samuel hewed Agag into pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Agag, the king, remember again a picture of the flesh, sin, comes up and says, hey, all right right things are good the 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 war's over the fight's done i'm still alive i won't make it we're we're good right it says cheerfully if you if i know in some other translations there's a different word there if you have king james it's i forget the word that it's there but the proper translation is cheerfully. i mean he's kind of coming thinking uh, things are good somehow i gotta i can find a way to to continue on now and just kind of keep moving along. And like we talked last week, and and again as we spoke earlier tonight, it needs to be done with completely. Completely and utterly destroyed. And again, very graphic picture. But I believe we need to take a look at that graphic picture. That's what needs to be done to sin in our life. Hack it to pieces. Don't deal with it gently and kindly. Again, don't try to rehab that. We need to consider it as dead that's what Samuel does here wiping out Agag then Samuel went to Ramah but Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death Samuel grieved over Saul and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel now that same phrase again that we saw a few verses earlier is the same phrase that was used back in Genesis chapter 6 when you know the whole world became so wicked and and evil that God brought the flood upon the earth and again regretting his heart broken over what man becomes and what 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 the flesh does. And that's why again he's so grieved that we've talked this many times over that you know God doesn't call it's not, it's not bad because it's sin. Things aren't bad because God didn't just choose a bunch of random things and says, don't do this, and then that's when they became bad. It's sin because it's bad. God knows what it does to us and what it does to others. And that's why he said, Don't do it. That's, and, and when when our flesh and our natural inclination, the the entire world that saved Noah, had turned to the, this utterly wicked following of sin in the flesh, God, God was grieved over that. And again, grieved over this situation here with Saul. And we're gonna see, he's taken the, the throne now away from Saul and he's gonna, we'll get into chapter 16. We don't have ch- time to start that. I don't wanna get into it. So we'll finish there tonight. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the fact that you love us enough to give us this mirror. This mirror that we look into. And Lord, we need to. Your love for us is so great that you do not want us to continue thinking that we're okay when we're not. Because we can so deceive ourselves as Saul did. Thinking that because we're doing most things right, These few things that we're being disobedient in are somehow okay, and God forgive us for that. Lord, our prayer is that you would reveal those things to us tonight. And Lord, we know that it's not because you want to beat us up, it's not because you want us to be trembling on the floor tonight, Lord, but that you want us to put that sin down. Lord, that we would repent that we would turn from it and turn to you. Lord, do that work in us. We want to be used by you in great ways for your glory, not building monuments to ourselves, Lord, but that you are high and lifted up. Lord, sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes as we go through sections of your word, it can can be a, a difficult walk. But Lord, we thank you for that because we know as we come through it, we come through it stronger. Do that work in us, Lord. Thank you again for your word. Thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy and your strength. Lord, I pray that for each and every one of us this week, as we are reading your word, and as we are seeking your face in prayer, that you would speak to us very personally that you would share with us even personal things that you would desire for us to walk in. Maybe certain areas of our life that you want us to do away with. And Lord, that we would then walk in obedience because you chose us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a good week.